You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. Welcome to episode 39 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast. You can find us broadcasting on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as the Star Wars Report website. Our episodes are even available right on our own Facebook page, at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, Mark Hurleman. And with me like an astromech in an X-Wing socket, the EU guru himself, R6N8, also known as the one, the only, Nathan P. Butler! I like that R6N8. Better to tweet than to be, well, I guess a protocol droid, right? And walk around all prissy-like. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, before the show, we were talking about uh, my new studio here. I've, I've got this big bookshelf that you've probably seen on the Facebook page. And I've had it. It was it started out as one that was back-to-back. It became a wall unit. Well, now in the new garage I've got, I've got shelves already built in. So I had to tear it down. And it was like, do I make a fake wall? with the bookshelf and kind of enclose myself in or leave it open and break it down and put it in an L and I'm, I'm in the process of doing the L and putting it behind me. So if down the road we get some video stuff, it should be a pretty cool background behind me, but I just can't wait to get all my books back up. It, it, it feels so weird to have the shelves naked at the moment and having boxes all around me. Yeah. I think that's going to be eventually where I wind up is just re- rearranging everything, take it all down and just shift it because we're getting to a point now where I'm about to fill up my shelves again and I, you know, right now I've got not just the books, but also the uh, CDs of the different audio dramas and such. And then all the DVDs, Blu-rays are up there. The VHS tapes are up there. Uh, the video games are all up there. And that takes up a substantial amount of space, but I need to find another place to put them if I'm going to make it just bookshelves again. Because I'm getting to the point of starting to fill up just a little bit too much. You'll probably see them at least a little bit in the background, though probably not a lot on some of those videos I've been putting up recently. For those who have been following the Facebook page or... YouTube, I guess it's youtube.com slash chronoradio, my old show name, C-H-R-O-N-O-R-A-D-I-O. Uh, I've been doing videos for that X-Wing miniatures game that we talked about on the show a while back in the Star Wars Dice app. So as I do those, you might see that a little bit in the background, uh, at least getting a sense of, I guess, what my dining room looks like, because everything I'm doing is on the dining room table, because that's the only place I can actually spread out all the tons and tons of pieces of that game. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I was like... I'm going to take this whole garage and I'm going to put everything up. And then it quickly became apparent. I can't. There isn't enough space in here to actually display everything. So I'm going to have to do something similar where I'm just going to have to lay it all out, take pictures of it, put it back in different boxing, you know, kind of update the boxes and all that. But man, it's been, it has been like geekdom Christmas here. I have found my Unleashed figures. I've got them all out and on display. I've been finding a bunch of action figures that I had posable. I've got the ones in the boxes still. Uh, you know, I'm just like one plethora after another. Every time I open a box, I, it's like, ah, I have been loving it. And speaking of loving it, Nathan, why don't you tell them what we're going to be talking about today? Because I'm loving it. McLovin even. McLovin? Was that a, was that a McDonald's reference? <laughs> Nuggets and X-Wings. Uh, Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions, questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and, well, so do we. This episode, we continue our look at the X-Wing novel series, 
and in this episode we are focusing on the newest of the X-Wing novels, Aaron Alston's X-Wing Mercy Kill. Consider this your spoiler warning, especially for recent stuff, cause here we go! Three decades have passed since Wraith Squadron carried out its last mission. Taking on the most dangerous and daring operations, the rogues and misfits of the elite X-Wing unit became legends of the Rebellion and the Second Galactic Civil War, before breaking up and going their separate ways. Now, their singular skills are back in vital demand for a tailor-made Wraith Squadron mission. A powerful general in the Galactic Alliance Army, once renowned for his valor, is suspected of participating in the infamous Lesserson Conspiracy, which nearly toppled the Alliance back into the merciless hands of the Empire, with orders to expose and apprehend the traitor, and license to do so by any and all means. The Wraiths will become thieves, pirates, impostors, foragers, and targets, as they put their guts, their guns, and their riskiest game plan to the test against the most lethal of adversaries. Now... Let's let's stop right there and go back to this whole cover text uh, stuff here. You notice the one thing yeah. it says that the wraiths will not be is pilots. This book is marketed as the newest installment after years and years and years of the X-Wing novel series. And in the sense that it comes back to X-Wing novel series characters and focuses on sort of a new generation of wraith squadron, in that sense, yes. It is a continuation of the X-Wing series we've been covering previously. But if you thought that the Wraith Squadron books that focused on sort of their intelligence operations and less on the X-Wing piloting was a departure from the theme of, say, the Stackpole books with Rogue Squadron, this is a departure even further. I hesitate to say that the only reason this has the X-Wing name is the characters. There should not be an yeah. X-Wing label on this book. You see X-Wing combat for maybe what? Three or four two, pages out of the entire two scenes. book. Two scenes. Yeah. And when you look at the opening pages and you check out the Dramatist Persona, I'm flipping to it now, you can probably hear my pages. Flip, 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 flip. The Dramatist Persona, at least in the book, it, it's much more in-depth, though it is somewhat spoilers in the Essential Readers Companion, which I'm going through and kind of checking out stuff in at the moment. You have uh, Bendy Drayson, Garrick Face Loran, Jesmyn Tainer, and so on and so on. And down there at the bottom, Wedge Antilles, retired pilot, human male. If you think this is a book that's going to have Wedge in it, you're sadly mistaken. Wedge is in here for maybe, what, two pages out of the entire book? It is not good, a good what hiccup. it is. In a lot of ways, it is sort of not what it is billed to be. It's a good book, and it's in the vein of those previous books, particularly the Wraith books. But if you're expecting X-Wing combat, this isn't it. If you're expecting to see Wedge back because he's in the Dramatis Personae, blink and you'll miss him. This ain't it. So let's get the misperceptions out of the way. I think this book was marketed in a way that is going to leave a lot of people scratching their heads as to why it was marketed the way that it was, and in some cases feeling as though they had sort of a bait and switch, that they were being sold an X-Wing book that turned out to be more of an intelligence operation book with almost no X-Wing participation whatsoever as far as the Starfighters themselves go. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the marketing because that was something that I wanted to, to definitely hit up as well. Uh, you know, I was excited right out of the gate hearing that Alston was back, going to do an X-Wing series. Ray Squadron was going to be the target. I was excited. I didn't know what we were going to get. But I'm 100% with you. Calling an X-Wing book, I think, was the wrong direction. I think they should have marketed this as another one of the next-gen stories. Because this felt to me like a very much, it was the next generation of Ray Squadron kind of picking up the torch, relighting it, and, and kind of 
covering a lot of stuff. I mean, in a lot of ways, this almost felt like it tied in with the New Jedi Order uh, when we had our flashback scenes and the way that played out. But, you, you know, you're right. There was only the two X-Wing scenes. They're pretty much all you see on the cover in the front and the back is pretty much the only two times you have the X-Wings in there. Uh, and only only Piggy and Miri Antilles are the only two that even flew X-Wings, aside from Wedge's little cameo with Tycho, who who didn't have any speaking part. He was just was up in the other X-Wing. But it's definitely one of those that it made you wonder about the marketing. It definitely mm-hmm. felt like the marketing failed on this one. It doesn't feel like it fits with the X-Wing series in the aspect of the characters that were there in the other series. We only get, what, three, maybe four of them. I mean, there's a lots of references, but... It, 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 I wanted Kel Tainer to show up. You know, his daughter was great, and and and, I, and we'll get to a lot of the positives here in a minute. I don't want it to seem like we're we're bashing on it because this marketing aspect, I really think, is where you're going to get a lot of negative feedback. Because if they'd have marketed it as a next generation book, I think it would have came across a lot better. Well, it certainly makes sense to be marketed as a next generation book. I, I mentioned the Essential Readers Companion a second ago that Adele Ray sent as a review copy, and this is the last book listed in the entire Essential Readers Companion, because chronologically, until we get Apocalypse, it is the last story. Well, that means that this is what Apocalypse is being billed as, or not Apocalypse, uh, Crucible, excuse me. This is what Crucible is being billed as. Crucible is being billed as though somehow it is the first post-Fate of the Jedi novel, and it's not. This is. This very much ties into, as you said, the New Jedi Order in the flashbacks. It also ties very much into what we got in Fate of the Jedi. It is wrapping up the Lesserson conspiracy, but it's not happening during Apocalypse. It's happening shortly thereafter. This is the furthest forward a Star Wars novel has gone up to this point until we see Crucible. And, you know, I, I think that's a missed opportunity. They could have played this out as a buildup of this is where the gen- the next generation is going. This is the next generation of Wraith Squadron pilots, some of whom are related to or have ties to previous ones, and some of whom are new characters you're going to get to know and love like you did the characters in the previous X-Wing series oh so long ago. But to, to bill it more as a continuation of the previous one rather than a new jumping off point, it does seem like it is somewhat of a, a missed opportunity here, especially since the book itself you know, th- this reminds me of Order 66 in the sense that you had the the Republic Commando series, eventually Imperial Commando that had one and may continue at some point, but they took Order 66 and they played it up almost like it was a one-shot, even though it was part of a series. It became a hardback, it said a Republic Commando novel kind of down there at the bottom, but it was billed as Order 66, not Republic Commando Order 66. They could have taken this and done the same thing, Mercy Kill an X-Wing novel or a Wraith Squadron novel or something down there at the bottom because this was a hardback, all the rest were paperback. They're in that same sort of we're distancing ourselves in terms of format type of approach and distancing themselves in terms of the story itself type of approach and yet from the standpoint of the marketing, what they call it, what they put on the cover, it didn't wind up having that sort of distance. It seems like there was almost a a disconnect between the approach being taken by uh, the writer and the approach being taken by those putting together the cover, the marketing, and so forth. I think that that somewhere along the way, some editor should have said, you know what, I think we're marketing this wrong, and maybe approach it a different way. Unless they were afraid that saying this was after Fate of the Jedi would be to tie it in too closely 
to Fate of the Jedi. The story somewhat is, but maybe, you know, the lackluster response to Fate of the Jedi had a role in why they wouldn't have wanted to tie this as closely into that series. Either way, though, it doesn't come off feeling like what I think most people expected it to feel like. Good book, but not what was expected. Well, I recall in Fate of the Jedi, the the whole Lesterson conspiracy, I remember thinking, like, wait, there were a couple guys, that, what, what happened to them? They just, like, disappeared. That was, what? whoa, that wasn't resolved. And that was cool that you got to see kind of that conclusion and the way it, it played out. It uh, reminded me of a lot of, of movies I've seen, in fact. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the obvious thing here is, you know, X-Wing, the series, you know, they, they, they've always marketed it as a series. And I'm talking before Mercy Kill came out. But as the readers, it's two series in an X-Wing book. But I think they obviously went with the X-Wing title to tell you, well, this is what you're going to get. You remember those X-Wing series that we had? It was all one series. It was a Rogue Squadron and a Race Squadron, and they kind of tied together at the end. Well, this is going to be along that same feel. But the problem there is that we take it too literal, and, and it's like, well, there wasn't really much X-Wing in there. But when I think about it, like the aspect that we had a Rogue Squadron and a Race Squadron series – inside that X-Wing series, kind of how the New Jedi Order was an era and a series in and of itself, this works as, like I said, the next generation. When I read it in that mindset, I actually, I was really enjoying it. There were a couple parts in the middle of the book, uh, after page 160, after one of the, the most gut-wrenching chapters I have read in a while, one of the most visceral reactions I've had since, oh, uh, let's say Anakin Solo, um, you know, not since reading his passing, have I, have I thrown a book from me? I was literally, we were driving down the road and when I got to the bottom of page 159, I am, oh no, oh no, tears are streaming down my face. My wife's like, what? And I turn the page and I read the first two sentences and I close the book and I literally chucked it up into the dash and I'm just like, they did. And I am just like, we're talking gladiators, snot running down my face, sobbing. I mean, I... Alston did a great job. I mean, I was just like, I, I foresaw exactly how Piggy was seeing it. And I'm like, oh no. And the title of the book came home 100%. And I was just like, wow. And, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to go too much into that because we'll get to that. But there were a lot of really good stuff going on in this. Granted, there were some parts after that that really kind of felt like it slowed. But it all came back there at the end. And I, I finished the last 100 pages in, in one sitting. I just couldn't sit down. Yeah, it is a very good book. It's one of those books that once you get into it, you know, you're going to be running along pretty quickly uh, throughout. But there, there are some levels, I think, that there are some disconnect, aside from just the whole marketing thing. Uh, let's start with, I guess, we can start characters here. There's really two things that I think stand out as far as characters. One is their choice of point of view character. The other is the makeup of all the different race that we see throughout the book. Spoiler warning, there are more wraiths involved in the book than the ones that just show up on the Dramatis Personae and the ones that we meet with the first group that we get involved with with our main character. The primary character, though, before we get to the wraiths themselves, Alston did something a little weird with this book, and it was something that I really didn't get at first. I thought it was just sort of a gimmick. But as we go along, it becomes an integral part of what makes this story what it is. The emotional journey of this particular character becomes what this book is, in a sense, all about. What the title goes back and refers to, uh, though I think that, that his point of view also gives me a reason why I didn't connect with a lot of other characters in the book. But the point of view character that is chosen here, it's a third-person limited perspective, so we're talking third person, but it's, you know, from most of the time it's being told from one character's point of view, their knowledge base that you get in the narration, and that is Vort 
Piggy Sabinring, the talking Gamorian that we had in the Race Squadron books, who starts out the book series as a retired member of Race Squadron, who's now a mathematics professor. And he's sort of brought back into Race Squadron as Garrick Face Loran as part of the, the mission to go after members who were left over from the Lesserson conspiracy. He's sort of bringing the Wraiths back together unofficially to go after Staventhal and others. And in doing so, he needs someone who has the experience of Vort who goes by Vort throughout the book. He's sort of given up his piggy nickname because a lot of the joy he got out of the missions, a lot of what he got out of that time when he was known as Piggy with Raid Squadron is gone now. Uh, he, he feels sort of negatively against that. So Piggy, oh. as a nickname, is gone. He focuses on Vort. For him to and the other the nickname has to come once he feels some sort of catharsis for the events that he went through in the flashbacks. Well, I like how that played out, though, because when it first started, you didn't know why he didn't go by Piggy anymore. He was very, I'm, I'm Vort now, you know, or Vort now. I'm Vort only. And, and it wasn't until the flashback that you found out. And I liked how that kind of, it was like a, a veil being pulled out of my eyes. I mean, you, you wanted to know why he was no longer going by Piggy, and he was so animate and venomous about it. And I like the way, you know, you know as you're telling it, that, that's the whole whole vision of it but as it went you didn't have all that detail and you're kind of like whoa what's going on here and they give it to you in bits of flashbacks and then you get like all at once as you were a good sir and it's, it's very hard for me personally i think this goes back to some of the stuff we talked about in our episode about you know needing more diversity in characters for me i can get into the head of a human male character human female character because at least it's, it's easier to picture because we're used to picturing human beings to have a gamorian not just a Gamorian, but this altered sort of Gamorian as our primary character, that took some getting used to. I think that once you get to the end of the book, it is the absolute right choice. This is who needed yeah. to be the primary point of view character. But I think this is another thing that at least to start with, some new readers are going to go, wait, what? Piggy is the point of view character? I'm not sure I can go along with this. It is a necessary point, and I think it played out very, very well. But this is a book that I think whether we're talking about, you know, wait a second, this isn't really X-Wing and those sorts of things, you almost have to give it a try first. If you try to judge it by its cover or by first impressions, you're going to have very wrong impressions. Whether good or bad, they're going to be wrong impressions. You almost have to yeah. make it to about halfway into the book before you can say, ah, aha, this is why it is what it is. I get it now and just be able to just enjoy it from there onward. Uh, what did you think of of the wraiths? I mean, we got a very unusual group of wraiths here. We've got some that tie into previous ones. Bendy Drayson, for instance. Uh, we've got Face back, but really only as sort of a support I, or command role. But we I got was Jesmyn bummed that he wasn't in there as much. I was really looking forward to more face action. That sounds really, really wrong. Um, <laughs> now we, we have Jesmyn Tainer, who is there, of course. Uh, Kel Tainer's child, we, uh, named after Jasmine Akbar. We have Mary Antilles, uh, Wedge's daughter. We have Trey Corser, who is new. We have a Claudite, which is a perfect addition, I guess, for the Wraiths in Termandura. We have a Yuzhan Vong member of Wraith Squadron, Veal Scut Gorsat. Uh, it is a very diverse group, uh, even for a Star Wars group, which is something that the X-Wing novels always did very well. They always gave us more diversity than most of them did. And in this case, it's diversity that has the twists in there of the Claudite, of the Yuzhan Vong, which of course were characters or species that didn't exist back when they were writing the original X-Wing novels for Rogue and Wraith Squadron, at least the first seven, certainly. I love the diversity. Uh, Truman and, and uh, oh man, now I'm drawing a blank. I, you just said his name too. The Yuzhan Vong. Scut. 
Yeah, Scott. Scott and Truman were t- two of my favorites. And Trey, oh man, Trey was great. Uh, oh, it's it's hard to remember all their names right off the top of my head. The one that was Gun Boy, uh, their the sniper. I like uh, Ran Ran Narcosan, who yeah, was Ran. The, the he's the nephew of Shalin Nelburn uh, from back in the previous books. Yeah, and I love that too because they're like and Shala. She always said her sister was even better than she was. And you're just like, yes. And, and I like the family dynamic. I mean, because like Jasmine, both her parents were race. And I loved, I absolutely loved the fact that she had a Jedi heritage as well as the Ranger side. And the Ranger played out when they're playing that one game, that uh, backstop or whatever it was. And they're all shooting the thing and they could shoot each other. He's like, Jasmine, you got one shot, one hit what's going on and she's so like you couldn't see her in the darkness and then right next to him from the side she's like one shot one kill that's the ranger way and i'm just like yes that is so cool there were a lot of really fun scenes and that's that's one of the things i've always loved about alston stuff he's always found great ways to to inject humor into the story at appropriate times and the fact that once once they had the two teams going and they were like Who's three are we talking to? Race team one, three, two, four. Uh, uh, let's just go with the boy girl. And it was <laughs> Ranger girl and <laughs> Gambler girl. You had Gun Boy. You had uh, a Stage Boy. There were so many great names that I was just loving the way they were playing it up. And then you had the running gag of of Vort when he was doing the first flashback where he was doing kind of like a strip dance. And they, they bring that full circle at the end and, and how you were mentioning about him enjoying himself again. And I loved how you watch that character progression because as the book's going, you find, you know, he, he doesn't really want to be there. He's reluctantly there. But by the time he gets back to that again where he's doing the dancing, he's just like, I'm legitimately enjoying myself. And part of that came through his interactions with Scut because he vehemently hated Scut with right reasoning because of who he, him being the Yuzen Vong. But when him and Scut have it out and they explained the why about it all and and they had to get it out so scut could accept piggy's leadership at this point it, it really played that was a really powerful scene for me for the character both characters because it gave scut an opportunity to see piggy as the way i was seeing piggy i was just enjoying the diversity of characters so much and, and i think that was one of the, the things that really killed me about a certain main character from the race series death was I was really looking forward to that character being in there, and he was in there in the first bit of the flashback, and then we got to the second one, and it all plays out. It's all happening during the Yuuzhan Vong War, which is one of my near and dear favorite series. Uh, you know, everything was on the line in that series, and now we find out that one of the main characters died still during that, and that just tore me up, man. This left me just in in shreds. Yeah, I will say that Alston does a better job, I think, of pulling on the heartstrings in this book than he did in Fate of the Jedi, for instance. He does a very good job of getting us to really kind of get inside Vort's or Piggy's head. We feel with him. We feel his sort of frustration. I think I was getting frustrated with his frustration as we didn't know at first why he was acting the way that he was. And... It did, I think, color my view of the other characters, though. Uh, he looks at them at first as a... These are just kids. What am I doing here? They're just kids, etc., etc. I never felt like we got the depth with any of the other Wraiths that we got, say, in the previous Wraith books. By the end of the Wraith Squadron book, the first one by Alston, I felt like I knew those characters, even if they didn't have the depth of the ones that I had known for four books previously with the Rogue Squadron books. Didn't really get that kind of depth with hardly any of these characters. When we had the ones where we got a little bit about them, we cared about them because of who they were, because they were members of the team, but 
not really a whole lot individually. And partway through, we get more rates added into the mix. And for a while, you mentioned the whole thing where they went from saying one, two, three, to being things like Gun Boy, Stage Boy, and so forth. I got amazingly confused with the sheer number of nicknames they threw out here. At least in the previous X-Wing books, they would mark it in the Dramatist Personae, Wraith 1, Wraith 2, Wraith 3, whatever. Not in this book. So there was no handy reference to go back to. So if you got lost on which one is 2, 3, or 4, you're either going back several chapters and trying to dig, or you're just saying, I give up, I just know some Wraith is doing it, and hopefully at some point I'll know who in the crap they're talking about. Uh, the, the number of characters became almost too much. Great diversity, and some very good characters that have a chance to really grow. Hopefully they'll use them again. But at the same time, you know, I didn't feel for them. That, that, that wall was put there between me and them, I think because of Piggy's attitude, and then it was just reinforced by how much we sort of had them as interchangeable numbers and nicknames throughout. I know that, that I'm sure that Alston was expecting us to keep track of every character's number and nickname. But you know what? When I'm reading a novel, I don't need to sit down with a piece of paper next to me to track the call signs of every character. If I gotta do that to know who in the hell everyone is, something's wrong with the way it's being presented. So for a while there, I think he got too much into the terminology, too much into the lingo, and not enough into making sure that it was clear for the audience. What he does do, though, very well, I said the heartstrings thing, is... Yeah, it's Alston. He's going to have humor. And it's got some pretty humorous moments. Nothing quite like the stuff of, you know, Yub Yub Commander. Nothing quite to the level of the whole thing about, I want to shoot something from Starfighters of Adumar. But it does have good humor in it. Uh, some of it more sight gags, like the piggy dancing kind of thing that you mentioned there. But unlike most other books, he manages to get us to understand the emotions of Piggy and to feel with him, even if we're not necessarily in agreement with his thoughts, even if we see, for instance, his prejudice against Scut as something that's directed at an entire race as opposed to being the individual, and we're sort of, uh, of naturally opposed to that, we have a natural aversion to that, especially in American culture, um, we still can sort of be pulled along by his emotional currents and get what he's feeling, even though we're sort of in some cases, annoyed at the fact that we're feeling what we're feeling. But he's making us feel throughout Piggy's story. I, I was with you in the terms of the holy crap moment when we finally realized what the title of the book was referring to, which we'll give some, some special thought to a little bit later in the episode. Uh, but at the same time, I got the same kind of emotional connection, emotional link, I guess you could say, with Piggy when he was going off on Scut. You could imagine that people at this point, even though it's 44 years after Yavin, the Yuzhan Vong War ended about, what, 15 years before, 29 ABY? Yeah, um, even though it ended that long ago, there's still going to be this anger, this hatred. I mean, heck, even in the legacy comics, there's still at least somewhat of a negativity against the Yuzhan Vong, even when they're on the Osis project. But to see a character that we knew and loved, who had faced discrimination himself, who had faced his own mocking for being a Gamorrean and for being an altered Gamorrean, sort of two levels of prejudice, now here's a person who knows what it's like, who is now using that vehemence against someone else. He is someone, it'd be like if you had someone who was a Jew who survived the Holocaust turning around with a visceral hatred against anyone who is German simply because they are German. Would it be justified from a societal standpoint, from a lifestyle standpoint, what they went through? Perhaps. But isn't that the same level of generalization and prejudice that led to the Holocaust in the first place? Piggy is acting out of a sort of discrimination and prejudice here that if he had seen it in anybody else against any other group, 
He would have been the first person to speak out against it. And yet here he is acting on it. And it finally takes sort of the revelation of, hey, moron, if you keep acting like this, you are going to get some of these people killed. Yeah. And we're not going to have it for him to finally get through it and finally speak about what it is that's been causing him all of this inner turmoil throughout the entire book. The emotional journey for Piggy is well done, perhaps better than almost any other emotional journey in any Star Wars book. The closest I can think of yeah. is the Revenge of the Sith book where Matthew Stover has those bits about, this is what it feels like to be Anakin Skywalker right now. And all that, oh. the dragon inside stuff. Yeah, that was Excellent stuff. work. Excellent work. But I hate to say that I just, I didn't have that sort of connection with any of the other characters in the entire book, just Piggy. Well, when, when him and Scott were talking, and I loved how this moment broke down for, for Piggy, and it, it, it's all Scott's speech broke apart, forming in his mind like columns of numbers. They added together into a sum he could understand. Heard, story of, race, since childhood, on my mind as I grew up, never met the Gamorian who talks. Vort's stomach lurched, he bent over and put his hands on his knees and drew in a couple shaky breaths. Vort, it's nothing. Vort remembered Scott's eyes from every every time the Yuzin Vong had stared at Vort. They had been hard and flat and full of hatred. Vort had seen them as Yuzin Vong's eyes. But in the 15 years after the war had ended, he had seen eyes like those many, many times, not on Yuzin Vong. Students, defiant, resentful, eloquently stare, stating that their stares, with their stares, you don't have the right to keep me here and tell me what to do. Scut had joined the race to be a, like the heroes of his childhood stories and even meet them. Vort had been one of his heroes. Vort had been a hero to somebody. And Vort had looked Scut straight in the eye and told him he was a monster. Vort, it's nothing. Just one of the side effects of getting older, Vort straightened. Thanks for your support, Scut. You are welcome. And Scut, yes. Vort held out his hand. Welcome to Race Squadron. That scene, the thing that I like the most about it is, is Piggy realized that, you know, here's somebody, he stopped looking at him as Yuzin Vong and said, here's someone who was idolizing me of all people and I called him a monster. And it was just like, it, it didn't even say he was a, a giant bag of bith dung, but that's how you felt. I mean, you're just like, man, what a, what a humbling moment that was. And then he welcomes him into the group, you know. But another one of those, and and I was just I loved it so much. You know, we mentioned the humor here. Uh, they're they're having their little planning spot, and and he turns to Scott Scott the Embus suit. Could it incorporate some of these pieces as decoration, as if as if the Embus people practice self modification like the Yuzin Vong? Scott considered that would be beautiful, and yes, I can do that. It's not your top priority. Keeping the suit from digesting Terman is still number one. Terman jerked up from looking at the gym. What? And that Thaw masker also more important. Scott nodded. Decorations will be priority three then. Digest me, Truman said. I I think when they got to that whole thing and, and how the suit could, could digest Truman and by the time Truman gets out of the suit and the whole playing of the Yuzin Vong aspect, that was a very handy character to have. Having someone that was a, a, a shamed one who is now a shaper in a sense and able to create you these uh, Neoglyph maskers that are like the Uglyph maskers, only they're not sentient. They're not that kind of alive. They're alive in a different way. So it was really cool the way they played all that kind of stuff up. I was really enjoying that a lot. Um, you know, you mentioned how there were so many. Uh, okay, now we have we have Face. Th this is during the Yuzavong War. You have Face, Keltaner, you've got Piggy, you've got Elisar, the Davarian, you've got Shar, uh, Bellagios, Bindi, 
Runt, and Esterick. Okay, now during this book, you've got Face, Bindi, Terman, Miri, Trey, Jasmine, uh, Scut, Piggy. Then you've got Team Two, which has also got Face. You've got Char, you've got Ron, you've got Thames, you've got the Wookiee Harana, you've got Brickenell, uh, and then you have their other team, which was the the beautiful. I love how, how it worked out. There was a third team made up of Ton Fannin. Uh, Jasmine's bounty hunter persona, a droid, a destroyer droid called Stabber or something like that. And it, there was just, I mean, the way that that all played out was just hilarious. And when you find out the why that that squadron was there and why Ton, who is dead, is suddenly reappeared and the whole aspect of that and why it factors into everything. I don't want to, I don't want to give this away. I mean, we give you spoiler warnings, but there is this book was was profoundly different than how I thought it was going to end. I saw a lot of things coming, but a lot of things took me completely by surprise. This is true. And and the whole idea of appearances is something that this book plays with. You know, we have a Claw Knight member of the team. We have maskers being used by Scut for Terman uh, as the series or as the uh, storyline progresses, but they're not the only ones changing here. You also have a seemingly loyal republic character, a uh, Staventhal who is revealed to perhaps be part of the Lesserson Conspiracy, or perhaps in a, sort of a, a tangential part of the Lesserson Conspiracy, and his whole plan to try to leave on his own, to essentially get away, includes changing his own appearance as things go on, only for us to wind up reaching the end of the novel when we think the story is over, and within the last little bit, finding yet another appearance wasn't quite what is expected to be, that the net perhaps in this catches more than who they expected uh, or that what you, you couldn't I guess go along with the idea of in one case about you know who it is that survives there's a point at which it looks like a major rate squadron character has died even though you know given the fact that they sort of led up to it very well you don't expect them to actually have died but there's a moment where you're like oh really you know and you think by the end of the book maybe you know you've just seen two rate squadron characters die only to wind up as we reach the end realizing that no 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 just just the one but we well, certainly at one point, had, you think there was three. You're just like, huh? See, I can only think of I can only think of two off the top of my head. I can think of the uh, the one that sets up the name Mercy Kill, of course, and then I can think of of the one that uh, is being tracked, who sort of sets everything into motion, and the, and the conspiracy tries to wipe out to stop everything that's okay. already in motion. The other one was out. the other one was the one that had to step down so Piggy could step into the lead position. Ah, this is true. This is true. I I that totally skipped my mind because again, I didn't connect with that character at all throughout the well, course of the book there was a lot of characters and a lot of references that i was like okay was did this happen in in the other books like were these characters mentioned i don't remember was that in the new jedi order books wait i don't who was this and they explained it and so i just i just assumed that a lot of things were injected just into this book and 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 Austin went back and filled in the gaps as to who gem boy is and how he was connected to scott and 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 all those little background pieces that worked together i mean so at first, though, I was like, I was thinking, okay, is this like a, a Lucino with with Darth Plagueis? And we got a lot of references here, and I'm just I'm just forgetting these references, and but I didn't want to stop and look them up. So I just I just went with it, like, okay, he had to add these in there. And then as I got through the book, I was like, okay, I went back and looked, like, okay, yeah, most of these were brought in after the fact. But I actually I love the fact that he did the flashbacks in the Yuuzhan Vong War. That to me, I I I want more in that era, and the fact that they could go back and do stuff like that. The fact that Alston did it, Force, thank you, sir. Thank you. 
Speaking of the number of characters, as you were saying that there, I pulled up the Wikipedia page for the book, and assuming that it is correct, and any mentions of characters are listed there as other characters beyond the Dramatis Personae, you add up those in the Dramatis Personae and the other characters, there's about 80 different named individuals in this book, whether referenced or actually appearing themselves, a lot of whom are appearing for the very first time. So yeah, it is a very large cast of characters to keep track of, but to a degree, that's sort of what the X-Wing novels have always been. But usually it is a standard sort of core group that stays the same throughout the book. Maybe what gets me about the, the, the Wraith Squadron members here is that once we add in more members to the team and the numbers and the nicknames started changing, it was like I had just started to get used to one set of names, now here's a second and a third and a fourth. They just kind of made it all somewhat of a, a, a mess of terminology. It would have been nicer if the narration intended to just stick with, you know, even in the narration, it was saying five, Jim Boy. No, in the narration, give me the freaking character's name. So I know that when a character refers to, say, five, who in the crap five is? Because if you do that with the narration and the dialogue, and you do it for, say, a whole chapter without ever, hardly ever referencing the people by their own name, it's going to confuse. It's going to leave people wondering, especially if you have a character like, you know, this character, for instance, uh, started to shapeshift. Whoa, okay, that must have been Termin. For a while there, I was thinking that was another character, but apparently it's the shapeshifter. There's got to be something to uh, to keep that as a nice point of reference. There's got to be something, if it's not going to be in the Dramatist Personae, if there's not a reference somewhere in the book itself, nice, handy, right there in front of you is perhaps a chart it does get to be a little bit of a mess. I, I think for the most part, though, he does a good job of giving his character motivations. Uh, he does a good job of keeping the motivations of the characters whose motivations we can't know yet from us without us feeling as though we are left at a loss for understanding the character's actions. Like, you take Thal, He carries out certain actions, and you know enough to know he's looking out for his own butt, not for the Galactic Alliance, but you're not quite sure why he's doing what he's doing. Like, what is the core motivation? Okay, he's trying to get out of there. To do what? For what reason? Okay, he has a sort of a, a side conspiracy going on. Is well, it part of the Lesserson get... conspiracy or not? We don't get that until late in the book. And hilariously, a lot of our insight into him comes through his soon-to-be ex-wife because yeah. he has a tendency just to switch between wives who, in a very creepy fashion, very Criminal Minds-esque, he's always trying to find, like, whether he knows it or not, women with the same sort of facial structure. It'd be like if your first girlfriend and your college girlfriend or whatever and your uh, ex-wife and then your current wife, all if you were to shave their heads and paint their skin the same color, would look like identical twins. That is freaking creepy, well, but it just it was, adds it to the mentality of the character. It was to an old uh, hollow star too. So it'd be like like if they all had the same face shape as the Mona Lisa, you know, some some classic piece of art or something like that. It was like a famous person that that had all they all had that same look to it. But the other thing about Stavin was that his point of view didn't even come in until almost halfway to the end of the book. I, I was like, okay, is he bad? Is he good? Because we think about the dust cover. The dust cover on the back calls him an Imperial General gone rogue. And on the inside, they call him a Galactic Alliance Army General. And you're like, okay, what's going on? But you're right. The wife's where they give you most of that detail. Yeah, and then you take a character like Piggy. We don't know what the motivations are for him until we get closer to the end. Uh, in a sense... Face is sort of like that, too. It seems like Face has a better view of the bigger picture 
And we sort of just see him in terms of how the rest of the story affects him in most respects. You know, to a degree, we know what he wants to do. But even then, it's always within the confines of what we've already had revealed to us. You know, when he goes to protect his wife and child, we know a little bit about them because it's been revealed through something else that he has said or done. When it comes to who he's targeting in the conspiracy and whether it goes any broader than just Stahl and how much does he know about, or I said Stahl, Thal, I guess, uh, how much does he know about him? Uh, we only get little bits and pieces. We're never quite allowed into his head. The only head it seems like we're really allowed into fully is Piggy's, but even then, it's that limited perspective. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is about the way that the characters were handled, uh, if, it's, if it's a lack of depth or what. There's just something about these that left me... My biggest impression of the book is, unlike most Star Wars books, I can sit back and I can tell you um, what the book was about. And I could tell you in general about Piggy's storyline. And I could tell you that in Wraith Squadron, there was a Claudite. There was a Yuzhan Bong. There was a member of the previous team, etc., etc. But if you ask me to give you any details about like a character like Trey or Char, I would not be able to tell you. If you ask me to give any details about Staventhal's character outside of the thing about the women and the fact that he may have been part of the conspiracy and sort of as an egomaniac when it comes to his own pop dogs, the, the, the people he has working for him within the military, I wouldn't have been able to tell you all that much. Even Face. I could tell you what Face did in the book. I could tell you very little about character progression for Face in the book. It feels as though this is a oh, book that oh, is Oh, so hey, there's focused. one big one for Face, because this is a big spoiler warning. It, he ends up being the head of the Galactic Alliance security by the time it's over. I mean, he gets a really good position by the time it was over. That, but that was it for his character progression. But, from, but that, that's, still, that's still less character progression yeah. than it is plot line. I mean, there's plot line and there's character development. And I think those two, generally, they intertwine. But it's very easy if you don't spend time on the character development side of things to have it be mostly plot. And while there is quite a bit of character development for various characters in the book, I'm left with the impression, having read this when the uh, the review copy, the, the uncorrected proofs copy went out, which is a couple months at, uh, a couple months before it actually wound up seeing print, I mean, literally, I'm looking back at this going, now, who were these characters? What were their personality traits? And having to sort of refresh my memory before we could talk about it this time. It's it's an X-Wing book in, in I guess it, it is, to that degree, if you want to compare Stackpole and Alston, it's in the same vein as Alston's uh, Wraith Squadron books, in that there were a lot of Wraiths that I never felt like I got to know, whereas there were <laughs> some that I got to know really, really well, as opposed to the Rogue Squadron books, where most of them I felt like I got to know really, really well. Um he, he, the characters he focuses on, you really get a lot of depth with and character development with. But the characters that are just sort of there as part of the plot, you're not going to feel as though you got as much out of it. it hmm. I'm kind of the opposite of that. I mean, I, I actually, when they got to the point where they readdressed the names and gave them the boy and girls and stuff, I, I think it worked out in the aspect of, it, it was like the part where I got back into the book. Up until that part, I was really confused. I was like, okay... Wait, what's going on? And but I like the characters. I think for me, when I think about these starting the way they work, is that the characters aren't the 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 character story I'm following. The race squadron is the character I'm following, and it's made up of and compromised of these individuals that all have elements to them that I enjoy a lot. Uh, and that's something I've found true of all the race squadron books I've read so far. They always bring someone in that's got certain skills or does this certain thing, has their own adventure and their own reason to be there. Like Mary Antilles, she's there because everybody knows her dad. Everybody knows her mom. Everybody even knows her sister. Nobody knows her. 
so she's in this for her. And, you know, you got all these different reasons why everyone was there. And I don't know. I just think from the squadron perspective, I think it worked out where it just all meshed together. And the squadron story is what is what you're really following. I would say if you look at this as a story of the well, think of it as when Rogue Squadron was re reintroduced and, and rebrought together again. And that's what you're seeing here. Ray Squadron is coming back together and you're seeing their first mission in a long time. And you're going to find out why they haven't been together. And you're going to find out where they're going from here to a degree. And I found that was an enjoyable ride. Uh, yeah, the middle part for me kind of drug when they were really getting, when they had all the stuff they needed almost, but they didn't quite have it all. And they were still going through the base and stuff. That part kind of drug on for me a bit. I was kind of like, okay, we had some really cool flashbacks. We had a really good setup and this part's not doing so great. But then I got to the end and it was just, oh, it was such a ride. And by the time they got to the end of it and Piggy gives you the whole, oh, this is what really happened. And then you find out, oh, the guy that set everything up is, oh, wow. And, you know, I don't want to give so much away, but the ending was really fun. I really enjoyed the ending of the story. And I thought that it really made the whole adventure a fun journey. Whether or not we got character growth, growth, uh, you know, I, I, I can agree with what you're saying to an extent. I think, like I said, the, the squadron itself was the character I, I watched grow. I think I, maybe that's the way that I looked at the Raid Squadron books when reading them in, in previous years. It just This one, maybe because Piggy doesn't feel like he's really part of the group until much further along in the story, there was always that sort of sense that there was Piggy, then there was the Raids. And these rates were very young, relatively inexperienced compared to, say, Piggy, and I just never really felt like I was seeing that, that big dynamic. They did introduce the characters well. I mean, the characters were, you know, nicely designed. Their personalities were clear. Their personalities were ones that stood out, but not a lot of growth to them. I mean, Scut had the personality that we could expect. Uh, Trey had his own sort of cocky personality. You expected when he opened his mouth it was going to be something along those lines, and if he wasn't cocky, then you knew it was more serious. Mary gets a great little exchange. When Piggy winds up meeting her, he says, uh, Mary, I thought you were making your living gambling, nice and safe on the errant venture, making a fortune from what I heard. She nodded, her attention on her rifle. So why this? She smiled. You must be so proud. What? Of whom? That's what they tell me. Mostly about Daddy. Wedge and Tilly's daughter? You must be so proud. And I am. Some people know about Mom's career. You must be so proud. And I am. Some people know about my sister's record in the last war. You must be so proud. Yes, yes I am. But maybe it's time for someone to be proud of what I do. Maybe even me. And then he responds, Most of the people I'm proud to have known died making me proud, Mary. She shot him a reproving glance. Your heart's really not in this, is it? And so on. Great introduction. We know about Mary. We know she's Wedge's daughter. But we know she also is somewhat resentful of the fact that she is always sort of defined by that. And then the rest of the book does nothing to define her as anything but Wedge's daughter, who happens to be resentful of being defined that way. It's ironic in the fact that the book in and of itself in which that point is made doesn't really do a whole lot to change that perspective. Again, not a bad book, fun book. I really enjoyed it. It is a great ride. But when I look back on it, having finished the ride knowing how it played out, I don't know that I would go back and read this book again. I don't know that there is enough there to the character development of anybody other than Piggy to feel as though it is an essential part of my reading something else. Like back in the day, if I was going to read a book that was focused on, say, say I was going to read the Hand of Thrawn duology, I'd make sure to go back and reread the Thrawn trilogy. 
you know, because I wanted to remind myself of some of the elements of that from Zahn's previous works. I don't think you would need to read the old Ray Squadron books to really get a lot out of this, although you'd probably want to read Fate of the Jedi first. But I'm not sure that this book has laid enough of a foundation for any of these new characters or relatively new characters to really be essential reading for understanding them in other books going forward. I think you probably get almost as much characterization for Mary out of that book, what is or that short story, what was it called? I'm flipping in the companion here. It is entitled, it's one of the last pages here, uh, yeah, Roll of the Dice from Insider number 135, which is a tie-in throwaway story by Karen Miller about Mary, which also features Wedge, that honestly probably gives me just as much characterization for her in a few pages as this entire book did. You know, they don't, it's like almost any book, I guess, where there's that core number of characters and those get development, and the other ones are sort of there to move the plot along. But I think I've expected more out of Wraith Squadron and Rogue Squadron books than of most Star Wars books, because they have such a large cast of characters, and I'm used to the idea, especially from the Rogue books, that all those characters get fleshed out. This time, I felt as though it was like any other Star Wars book, and instead of it being like Han, Leia, and Luke, now it's Piggy, maybe Bindi, um, and perhaps maybe Face. You know, where there's the handful of characters we get some development with. Everybody else, they'll get their development in some other book. Right now, they are there to push the plot along. They're essentially uh, walking, living, breathing set-piece moments to make it work. Even Scut, who gets probably more development than any of the other race in the entire book, sort of feels like he's there mostly just to push the plot along for the, uh, the masker and for Piggy's sort of self-realization of why he's being such a jerk to everyone. Oh, and another thing about Scott, Scott was like Worf, you know? Uh, he was adopted by a human couple and raised as a human. Uh, that was something I like. And we also had Face, who is now the Michael Knight of Star Wars, with his speeder-like kit that talks to him, has a droid personality. I thought that was kind of fun. But, you know, uh thing about Miri is, you know, she, she had her own little thing going on. Yeah, it wasn't much going with it. But when it came time to call on her dad, it wasn't just go call your dad. It was, I have a resource that I can, I can tap. I mean, she never actually called it her dad up until he came and, and did it. And Thames' voice comes to her, who the hell did you call for help anyway? Mary paused while the stealth X screamed by overhead and the succession of laser hits blanketed all other noise. Then she smiled and answered a considerable quality of little girl in her voice. I called daddy. She flipped the data pad shut and looked at Jasmine. When you've lost everything else, you can always count on Daddy. Jasmine nodded. I know that. And then they ask, you know, why didn't Bindi answer? And, you know, then we have a little moment when they're climbing up into the ship where they're both crying as they learn that Bindi has, uh, well, that's as spoilerific as it gets. You could put two to two together and consider me a jerk for spoiling that. <laughs> See, I don't know, but at, at the same time, though, that's a great scene. It's one of the great moments for Mary to be like, Daddy, which, of course, still emphasizes she's Wedge's daughter, and that's her primary role in the story is to be Wedge's daughter, um, in a sense. But at the same time, as soon as it's revealed it's Wedge, we're all like, yes, it's Wedge. That's why he's in the Dramatis Personae, and two pages later, he's gone, never to return again. Yeah, he's only mentioned as a as a holdout. Miri had sent all the information, and if they don't respond back, he's going to make sure it gets there. And and that is the the limit of his character, which is funny because you know we mentioned how you know in in the 
the Rogue Squadron books, he was like the establishment, him and Koran and, and Tycho, like they were the next generation of characters. And now this is like the next generation of next generation of EU characters in a sense. You know, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from with character progression on a lot of these. But I, I think that for what we got, we had so many. And yeah, they were nibbles of. I think we got just a little taste of a little bit of character development on everybody. I mean, everyone had a little line here there that kind of gave you a little bit about them. But I think it'll only pay off if they continue to write more books. And if they do, I'd rather they market them as Wraith Squadron books and not X-Wing. Give me some Rogue Squadrons too, but let's just drop X-Wing from it. Let's just have them based on these squadrons. Let's have some more squadron stories. They're really fun. I'm enjoying them. Let's see what we can get. And let's call them squads, not squadrons, because they're not flying anything, pretty much. <laughs> That's um, true. I guess... As we sort of round things out here, we got just a few minutes left. We've sort of hinted around and talked around the big issue. We don't want to necessarily reveal uh, the key turning point, but this book is called Mercy Kill, and it deals with a difficult choice in any time of war, the idea of sometimes it's more merciful to end someone's life than to try to save them or to redeem them or to arrest them. You know, it kind of depends on what situation you find yourself in so as not to completely give everything away uh, in what Mercy Kill refers to in this book. But you have this instance where a character faces a choice and that choice is going to resonate more for his character than for anything else. And we see this in a flashback again to the Yuzhan Vong War. Um, that was a very powerful scene. He said that he had already started, you know, uh, uh, tearing up, tossing the book. For me, not quite as as extreme, but I remember being very much shocked. Uh, it's sort of one of those things that I only predicted a couple pages ahead of when I actually read it, uh, which is unusual given the fact that a lot of times these things sometimes seem somewhat formulaic. But I think that to me, one of the things that stands out without necessarily giving away who it is and what the circumstances were, the fact that that choice, that mercy-killing choice to, to kill or not, what is more merciful? It comes at a point where the Yuzhan Vong War is so close to its ending that honestly the mission in which it took place probably did not make a difference in the grand scheme of things. The war was already won, it was over, unifying force, the novel, was already happening, it's just a quick matter of time and everything would have been fine. Just a week or two, a month or two, or however long later, this choice would never have even presented itself. I think that in and of itself adds another layer of tragedy to it that Alston put in there very subtly, that not only do we see a character that we have loved for a very long time uh, sort of disappear from the stage, so to speak, and we see that that disappearance takes place because of the actions of another character we've grown to care about. But the fact that in the grand scheme of things, it may not have made a difference in the war, that to me was the biggest shock. It felt as though, you know, I guess it's sort of the way that, that the character involved must have felt. You know, wow, this sacrifice may have just been for nothing. We know that for this book, it's for everything. It's the big impetus for all the character development in the entire book for one of the main characters. But in the grand scheme of things, to think that it may have been for naught, that hit me harder than the, the death itself, really. Yeah, uh, that whole scene. It, and I think one of the parts is where, where Vort's thinking back to it, and you know, it plays to the first flashback where he's like, I'm going to get somebody back. And he's like, I've got this voice in the back of my head going, you got him back. And, and the fact that he hates that voice, I mean, I think... As as we as individuals get older, you know, and we experience death firsthand, 
And sometimes, you know, you may find yourself in a position where someone close to you dies and you were present at the time. You question, you know, whether your involvement or how, however anything of that happens. And it, it plagues you for the longest time. You know, you got your friends to tell you, no, you couldn't have done anything, this, that, and the other thing. But for Piggy, that that was a, a very sad thing. You know, when he felt like he lost the only family he had during that war, and then to think that, you know, there's a part of him thinking, well, maybe maybe you didn't have to go through with it. You know, someone today had said, you know, oh, it's never too late for anything. I said, have you ever euthanized a dog? And that was that reminded me of of this character that passed away because it's one of those things like once you pull the trigger, you can't take that back. And then you question everything and learning that piggy who is a genius can still question this kind of stuff. And it shook him so bad that he left everything that he loved. It, it was a fun journey for me. I, I really, I liked it. I, I, I will read it again at some point. I'm just not sure when I'm going to be able to get the time. Uh, I thought it was a fun book. Yeah. It's funny that of all the characters in here, you know, I gripe about the characterization of many or the lack thereof. But from the standpoint of humanity, it's funny that one of the most human moments in any Star Wars novel produced, possibly since the beginning of the expanded universe, comes from a character who isn't human at all and is perhaps one of the ones we would have the hardest time being able to, uh, to sort of uh, recognize ourselves in because of him being an alien and changed and, in some cases, beyond us intellectually and such. Uh, He's the one who gets the most human moment of them all. Well, and they always played with his vocabulator, too. You know, it would be talking like how it was coming out in a friendly human voice, but he was being sorrowful and this, that, and the other thing. One last thing I'll say before we jump out of here, and we got to jump out of here fast. I really felt like this book should have been marketed in a lot of ways as an Ocean's Eleven type story. It had more of an Ocean Eleven feel than any Star Wars book I've read in a long time. You know, I'll withhold comment on that until I read and grumble about scoundrels, which is being marketed in that way, and somehow is going to put Han and Lando back together again for them to have yet another reason to say, uh, after what you pulled, sigh. Hey, but at least Kel Tanner will show up in the book and I'll actually get to read about his point of view. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. That about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you, everyone, for listening once again. And remember, you can listen to our show airing on Middle Earth Network Radio as well as streaming on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Our episodes are also available right on our Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. No matter how you get there, though, be sure to hit the like button. Like our page! Our page is one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments while you're on the page and listening to our show, but you actually might get heard later. Each month, we release our feedback episodes where we answer emails and messages from you. If you have something to say about an episode, fire it off. You can email us at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. So, once again, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that I actually like the book, even though apparently I was very critical this time around. Well, the odds that you won't get a roster of who's who in your rogue squadron. Odds that Wedge will actually freaking show up in a book when he's on the dramatist persona. 